Welcome to the Cobra Cast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. All right, welcome to the Cobra Cast with the President VP. I'm the host, Ricky, Ricky Rifty the Prez uh, Logan. Got my co-host, Ricky Et Dog VP Etridge. Um, mate, we're going uh, to chat with somebody back over in the states. We're going to chat with America's very own BT, who's uh, affectionately called Brian Barish. Yeah, uh, bit of a different chat this one, isn't it, mate? Yeah, yeah, well, being that he was, you know, he's more of an administrator. He's involved with the USAFL as a media man and done a bit of commentating and, you know, hasn't really played all that much. It was sort of a bit more of a casual chat about, you know, all, all that he's involved with over there, running the league and things like that. And, you know, sport that he's uh, passionate about in Philadelphia there. We were very uh, thankful for Brian for giving us the time pretty sure when we recorded this one he's his young young kid was only a couple of weeks old was one was it six weeks early seven weeks early yeah yeah just uh yeah something like that six weeks early and and yeah he um was kind enough to jump on and chat to us before he was about to head off to the hospital to go visit the bubs which i'm not gonna lie to you mate that was uh where i realized oh shit i better get my house in order here because when we recorded this it was about seven weeks out from kelly ready to give birth and it was me going Seven weeks early. Oh, sure, I have nothing ready. <laughs> so, yeah, bit of an eye opener for you. But. It's a little bit, mate. But um, what's how are you holding? Well, I know what you're holding, and I don't really appreciate the fact that you are holding it. But right, better than it. better than the other bot that could have been holding, I guess. Just our uh, a little Cobra Madden trophy here for the. Uh, it's a bit bit too much glare on the older <laughs> shiny trophy yeah, there. You see it like that. Look at that. A little. The Madden Cobra Bowl. Madden Cobra Bowl trophy. I've just, uh, yeah, just over the weekend, I just went back to back champ, mate. Um, oh, now, trust me, I know. You know all about it. I haven't got it engraved yet. I'll take it down tomorrow and get it engraved. But, um, get anything yeah. you want to say to uh, the man who's going to be quite, probably distraught still from Saturday in Dicko with his back to back losses in the final? Suck shit. <laughs> Uh, the champ. It's always a good day of the Cobra Ball. The, uh, it's the next day or the next two days later, me having to clean up the Kennel Studios isn't the greatest, but uh, it's all clean now, ready to go. But um, yeah, we'll just get stuck into this chat from Philadelphia, Brian, yeah, and then land a bit of Friday night footy. Yeah, no worries, mate. And don't forget, don't forget next next Wednesday, Wednesday, July 1st, 7, uh, 6 p.m. on Facebook, we're live. So we're going to go a live episode with, I'll be interviewing my co-host, Rifty. So don't forget to tune in for that one. Yeah, look forward to it. So until then, enjoy this chat with Brian Barish. And uh, today we're we're joined by Brian Barish, who hosts his own podcast uh, called Marks and Stripes for the USAFL. Uh, he's the media manager and 
we're just going to have a chat with him. It's nothing too formal, not like all our other ones with all the questions we run through. So we're just going to have a bit of a chat and see where it takes us. So let's get him on. Welcome, Brian Barish. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, we, yeah, we were prepared. So um, you are, you, know, you host your own podcast, uh, Marks and Stripes. Uh, but you're also the media manager for all of the USAFL. What does that job entail? How did you get into it? I, I wear a lot of hats. I wear a lot of hats. Um, basically, I'm in charge of all the social media for the, for the league. So that encompasses Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and uh, Reddit as well. We do starting to do a lot more work over there, which is, which is fantastic. Um, I'm in a sense, the in-house graphics department um, because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done on the fly and I know how to use Photoshop. So that's a good thing. Um, I'm media relations as well. There's a a fair bit of outreach that we do and um, people come to us. uh, It usually gets funneled on to me. And then um, I'm the, a lead play-by-play commentator for the league when we do tournaments and whatnot, which is honestly my favorite part of the entire gig. (laughs) I mean, the other stuff's fun, but I just love doing commentary. It's something I've wanted to do since I was about eight years old. And the fact that I get to do it for a sport that it, it, that's my favorite sport in the entire world is, is, is unreal. Uh, That's pretty awesome. Uh, Have you done any commentary alongside rich man? Um, have I called? I don't know. I think maybe one game a while ago. I think when I very my one of my first or second year, he did it. Um, Rich Rich is a mate, and uh, he's he's very you know he's he's very good. But I don't know that I've. I, I think yeah. I think maybe my first or second year. We're going back about five years or so. Yeah. So we've heard a little bit about Rich Man through some uh, different teams that we spoke to, and he seems like uh, quite the character and, and a good figure for the USAFL. Yeah, but I, I can't go any further than this, mate. But um, I was looking up you today and you uh, got to meet the great man BT because apparently you're referred to as the American BT. And I'm still trying to figure out if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends who you ask, I guess. Well, yeah, well, I mean, it honestly kind of started at the International Cup three years ago. I had gone over there to cover the American teams and um, I, you know, it's... I wasn't trying to do anything different than what I normally do. I just, I just love having a lot of fun and, and I love, you know, puns and I love wordplay and, and uh, I'm a, fa- you know, I'm a fan of Rex Hunt. I love what he does and, and all of his isms and, um, you know, Mike Emmerich, who's the hockey commentator, he does a, a fantastic job and he's a, got a very interesting vocabulary. And um, so the first game I was over there, uh, Dave Griziak, who is a player for Dallas, big, strapping an absolute unit if you will uh just laid out this canadian guy and one of the uh one of the aussies that i was calling with said uh well that was a strong tackle and i immediately thought of my my brother-in-law whenever we would be playing cards describe a hand as being stronger than a garlic milkshake and that was the first thing that came to mind and um it wasn't until a little bit later that uh, one of the women's coaches pointed out to me that there were people on the afl subreddit that were following along and um had i guess enjoyed my commentary so uh somehow in the middle they were like well he's he's like he's like rbt and then when they found out my first name was brian it was like ah. <laughs> made the connection it actually got a bit of a write-up on the triple m's website mate and read somewhere else that had made the news elsewhere and whatnot so that's not a bad 
thing to have for a bloke just out here calling international cups and all of a sudden getting to meet you know, some you know, quite big figures in Australian media and sport. I was surprised that that happened. I mean, neither of the, the articles, ESPN or Fox, they just sort of, it just sort of happened. And I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't aware that it was happening. And somebody was like, Hey, did you know this was happening? The funny thing is, is my, my parents have always been very like, well, this is this weird thing that Brian does, you know, he seems to enjoy it, but, um, and they knew I was going over to Australia and I don't think they understood the scope of it. And, uh, when I made it on Fox and when I made it on ESPN, all of a sudden my dad became the number one supporter of the American Aussie rules teams. And he, he was following along. And I remember that first game. And apparently there were a couple of Canadian guys that weren't happy with my commentary. And my, my dad was actually, actually made a YouTube account so he could jump into the live chat and defend me. And he didn't need to, because <laughs> apparently like a whole bunch of USAFL people kind of were just like, Hey, he's doing his best. And, um, I, it was funny cause I was, it was a week later, I was actually, sitting at was the Giants Bulldogs game at, at what is now Marvel Stadium and I got a text from um, somebody at Triple M and they were like uh, hey so um, are you able to call in on uh, tomorrow and talk to BT and I said well I'd love to but I'm you know the US has a game and they said all right well what are you doing the following week and I said well I'm going to be at the MCG because that's the men's final it ended up being uh, Papua New Guinea and uh, New Zealand and uh, they were like, well, if you're going to be there, why don't you just pop up to the press box and, uh, and uh, we would get interviewed with him and, and Jim Brayshaw, who I also love, and uh, Wayne Carey, and gosh, I forget who their other person was, but uh, that was a thrill just to be able to be in the press box of the MCG and be interviewed by those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the clubs, as you know, we've been around the globe talking to clubs and a lot of people have gone to the International Cup and you mentioned uh, Papua New Guinea then. All we keep hearing is they're an absolute bloody powerhouse. You know, how true is that? And, you know, are they just incredible to watch like we've heard? They are a, a, an incredibly well-polished side. And what, what's interesting is I called their game against the USA at Montrose. And um, they are not, not nearly as big as the Americans. They're not as big as a team like Ireland. I know New Zealand's got, a, you know, pretty, pretty decent-sized blokes. They're a fast team, and the way that they beat the Americans is, you know, every time the Americans would get a free kick, every time they would get a stoppage, the Americans would go back, assess their situation, and then by the time they did, Papua New Guinea was prepared. Every time the Mosquitoes got, the, got a free kick, every time they got the football, they didn't waste time. They immediately had their heads up. They were looking for an option. They got rid of the footy, uh, and it seemed also like they were immensely fit. So even though they weren't this big, and even though the American guys had the size advantage, um, PNG always was, they were a lot quicker. They were a lot quicker off the football. Their acceleration was perfect and, and they're absolutely fearless. So, you know, the fact that they've been in every grand final on the men's side in the international cup since the tournament was founded in 2002, it, it's not a fluke. They're, they're a really well, well drilled side and they keep producing footballers that, that I feel, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that you don't see them come up through the state level as much and that you, you haven't seen them play in the AFL because they are so good and they are so talented. Yeah, I definitely understand. Like every club that we've spoken to that has have a player that's been there has mentioned about that. And it does get me thinking like, well, these guys sound bloody incredible, but you're not really seeing many come through the system. But anyway, Rift, mate, let's uh, 
Okay, I know you were sitting there trying to get my attention to ask a question, so yeah, go ahead, That's mate. All good. All good. Uh, <laughs> I think there's probably been a couple of um, mixed guys that are Aboriginal but have Papua New Guinea, um, you know, in their in their bloodline somewhere as well that have come through the system and that. And I think it's probably a matter of time. Like you, you can't have a team that's dominating an international series like that and not. Not get some guys get attention at some point, and I'm sure they'll uh, get some offers at uh, get some school offers and stuff like that to come across. Yeah, and and I think um, and you're seeing it as well with Ireland, and you're seeing it um, with New Zealand. You're also honestly seeing it with the women's side. Look at the amount of uh, Irish players that are coming through and 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 doing well in that competition. And um, you know, Canada sent a couple of players over. Um, unfortunately, both of them, uh, the, I guess the primary ones, Kendra Heil, who was signed by Collingwood, and Valerie Moreau, who was signed by signed by St Kilda, uh, both had ACL issues. Um, you know, we were lucky that we were able to get Danielle Marshall to to go through the system. We've had a number of others. Um, Katie Klatt played uh, for Melbourne University for two years. Um, uh, Jess Blecker just came back from a, a stint with Collingwood. Um, we we have one or two players who are over there now, and unfortunately the COVID situation has kind of completely upended everything, and we don't know what's going to happen with the state leagues and the feeder into AFLW next year. But I think we're seeing that across the board. We're starting to see a lot of uh, – people on both the men's and women's side, I think, recognize that there is talent abroad. Um, I think the key is, 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 you know, it's great to have these combines, you know, because you think of like Mason Cox and, uh, you know, his story is, is fantastic. But you think about how many local leagues there are around the world and how great it would be to see men and women come up through these leagues and then through the state system in Australia and, and, and have a crack. Yeah. Well, it's, um, very different organizations over there. Like, um, you know, for the women's side of stuff, like here, the AFLW is quite new. Um, VFLW has been going for quite a while and there's been, you know, local women's leagues and stuff. But I guess in the States, there's not really much of that kind of physical sport outside of a real professional rugby or, you know, there's no female American football. There's, um, you know, say... Females are kind of stuck playing certain sports over there. And I think it's good to see that over in America, especially there's a lot of girls that are getting attracted to the sport because, you know, stupid round ball is probably another dominant one over there that, uh, that the girls are stuck playing, but they're like, no, I want to hit people. I want to, I want to have, I want to have the fun that the boys are having playing this better game. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that particular sport because Danny Marshall uh, was a, a four-year starter for a division NCAA Division II school, uh, Colorado School of Mines, for four years. But she had found the the sport uh, on TV, I think her freshman year, and she said that she had always wanted to give it a go. And she was in uh, Colorado at the time, and of course, right down the road from the Denver Bulldogs, which at the time were you know as you know six-time national championship on the women's side um you know think of how think of how more dominant that team was if, if you would have had a caliber player like Danny Marshall they already had a bunch of division one caliber athletes on their team at that point um but uh, unfortunately scholarship uh, considerations precluded that from happening and and you know it's a shame that it took almost 10 years before she was finally able to play it at an organized level um I think there is a distinct lack, and, and, and that's the thing. We do see a lot of rugby players come across um, just 
for various reasons. And I, and I think, yeah, I think there is something lacking, you know, people look at rugby and, and, and listen, I enjoy rugby. I enjoy, I enjoy soccer. Um, but there is something that's much, I think much different, not only on the field, but off of it. Um, one of the things that I love about the USAFL community is the fact that, uh, it is pretty tight knit, especially on the women's side, as you mentioned, um, you know, there are 500 women's players in the USA. And I feel that, just about everybody knows each other, uh, even people across the country. Um, a lot of that is through the national team program, the USA Freedom, which of course builds into the International Cup. Um, but even just thinking about like on the regional level, um, you know, for a long time, there was only one real women's team on the East Coast, and that was the New York Magpies. And um, Boston has, you know, been cobbling a team together for the last decade, DC as well. Uh, Columbus here in Philadelphia um, you know we never had a women's team and when we decided that we would finally be able to try and uh, formulate something together at least through a you know initially a co-ed program and then eventually into its own squad um, Drea Casillas who is the president of the New York Magpies and who is the president of the Women's Association for many years was called me up and was like hey I hear Philly's trying to start a women's team and then 10 minutes later, um, uh, Alex Mims down in, uh, in D.C. was like, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to start a – I hear Philly's trying to start a women's team. What can we do? And then Boston, hey, Philly's trying to start a – so, I mean, there's a lot of uh, investment, I think, beyond just resources and whatnot. I think because of the way that – the attitude that people bring, you know, it's obviously something that's not known. What can we do to grow that and what can we do to infect people with the love for the sport? Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, we are learning, you know, not even just in America, but all around the world, how tight knit the Aussie Rules community is. And it's great that, you know, when Philadelphia Hawks were trying to get a women's team going up and about, the other clubs wanted to help out because in a lot of uh, places in, say, Victoria or Australia, for example, I'm sure that if a neighboring club was to try and get a women's team in, that club would probably have a bit of a ejection, rejection against it because they're going to be taking their players. But what I actually want to know is how did you come across this beautiful odd game of ours? I saw it on TV in 1995. I literally, I was, a, I was a teenager and I came home from school one day and I was just flipping around the channels like you do. And I came across this game and I, you know, I followed rugby uh, as much as I could back then. I mean, it, the internet wasn't as prevalent as it was now. So it was very difficult for me to, find uh to, to find odd sports that i didn't get to see i mean you know i liked all the other sports but this was something new and exciting and i had seen it very briefly even before but this was the first time i actually got to like watch a game and it was an hour-long highlight show and i remember just being entranced by the speed of the game the flow uh the funny accents the the, the umpires the guys in the funny hats going like this you know it, it's it's um, it's something that that I, I remember it's just clicking in my brain and every week throughout that summer and then the following summer uh, just just really getting into and, and enjoying. So um, I, I followed it that way for about, you know, about 10 years or so. And then um, in, a, in 2007, I discovered that the, you know, that the Hawks, I knew there was a team in Philly, but I never got a chance to connect with them. And um, they have a grand final party every year, which I've been to now ever since. But 2007, it also happened to be my wife's birthday. <laughs> and um, she was like, hey, well, let's, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was like, well, hey, let's, let's, let's go to the grand final party. So we rock up and it's at, you know, it's at an, 
casual American restaurant. I won't mention which one it is, but uh, just like a random casual American restaurant in, in, in Philly. And we're sitting in a booth and all these people start from the Hawks come over and say, Hey, you know, how'd you find out about us? And, you know, and, 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 and how'd you found out about the game and all this other stuff. And, and then eventually the, the topic of conversation was, have you ever thought about playing? And I'm a terrible athlete. In fact, my dad says I run like a pregnant giraffe. And I conveyed that. (laughs) I conveyed that to them. (laughs) And I said, and I said, listen, I'm a terrible athlete. And they said, they said, we don't care. We don't care if you're a pregnant giraffe. We don't care if you're not pregnant giraffe. Just, just come out, have a kick with us next year. And I did. And I was very timid because, you know, again, growing up, my, my sports experiences were awful because I was a terrible athlete and, and, and I was derided a lot. And, I, you know, I figured, well, I'm dealing with adults here, but, you know, you never know. And um, so I rock up one day and we have these Metro matches, which are nine aside. Um, they're like oh, kind of like glorified scrimmages. But, you know, it's like you, you still want to you're not trying out there to kill, but you, you, you do want to win. And I rock up, and I'm just kind of standing off the side all timid. And um, John Loring, who is the longtime coach of the Hawks, big hairy oh, – sorry, little hairy gentleman comes over, and he's like, uh, are you here to play footy? And I said – and I could have said no. And I, to this day, I'm like, I could have just chickened out and said no, and I wouldn't be sitting on the floor talking to, you know, a couple of guys in Australia. But um, he um, – I said yes, and he said, good. See those guys in those ratty Geelong jumpers over there? Go on their names because in five minutes you're going to be on their team. And um, I remember my first interaction, you know, I was on the field and I, I had, I had runners on. I didn't even have like, like proper footy boots. Um, I didn't have goggles. I had like my pair of glasses that I just prayed wouldn't get broken because I didn't have a backup pair. And um, my first interaction was I went into the ball and I didn't, you know, as much as I knew the rules and as much as I knew the game, I didn't know the concept of being shepherded. And so I got elbowed right in the guts and, um, and, and I thought to myself, it hurt for like three seconds. And I thought, you know what? I didn't die. This is fine. Um, so anyway, really quickly, the game, the game ends and uh, I'm on the side warming down. And uh, John, again, the coach comes over and he goes, so Barish, what did you think? I said, oh, I had a great time. It was wonderful. He said, good. Say, what are you doing in three weeks? I said, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any plans. He goes, well, our first game of the season is in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's an eight-hour bus ride. We're going to rent a bus, and we're going to drive down for the weekend and play. Do you, do you want to come? And I said, to, you mean to watch? He said, no, dummy, to play. I said, well, don't I have to try out for the team? He said, all right, here's your tryout. Do you like the sport? Yeah. Do you want to play? Yeah. You're on the team. <laughs> <laughs> And, the, and, that was, and that was 12 years ago, and, and I've been involved in the league and, and with the Hawks as well ever since. So one of the things that I picked up was that you actually called them boots. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, Rifty, but I bloody appreciate that because a lot of the American clubs yes. I've spoken to, it would be yeah, you, cleats. Is cleats. It cleats, cleats. So here's someone, and it's always like a bit of a cleats. Oh, yes, I do understand why you're saying that, but here's someone say boots. Yeah, it's, it's just... It's, it's, it's nice. <laughs> I have tried my best. I have honestly tried my best to, to especially when I'm talking with, with fellow Aussies, to, to try and use any sort of nomenclature as possible. I think I, uh, you know, when, when one of the players got injured at the International Cup, I, said, I was openly wondering where the ambo was. And, and they were like, and they were impressed. They were like, ah, oh, you used the right word. <laughs> <laughs> Who did yeah. we just get off to, Rift? Was it Col- the team from Columbia about the lost in translation? Yeah, yeah. So we spoke to a guy from Colombia. And so yeah. he has the added difficulty of having uh, 
Spanish is the main language over there. So, um, he's had boots. To, yeah, he's had to learn Spanish, but yeah, we've, we've found it funny that even just speaking to other English speaking teams that some They're of the hardest, yeah, some of our yeah. questions get lost in translation a little bit. Like we've spoken to French, Germany, uh, like Austria, all these other clubs and majority of them get what we're saying. And then you speak to the clubs that actually speak English and they get confused with what we're saying. <laughs> well, well, what's funny is, of course, that the, Amer- the, the American term when you, you know, for when you barrack for somebody, uh, it's a different word, <laughs> you know, because we use root. You know, we ah. root for somebody, which obviously there, that, that, that means something completely different. Um, so you have to explain that to somebody. Be like, oh, yeah, what team do you root for? And then you get these <laughs> weird looks. And, and, uh, but I, I, I've been around the game along not to make that faux pas. <laughs> Oh, there's some of our um, our uh, sarcasms and things like that that are just second nature to us. Uh, don't quite go over with uh, the Americans at times. Yeah. So, what position did you play? Uh, full forward. Ah, I was, he's, uh, he's a good bloke, this guy. I knew I liked him. <laughs> I was uh, I was a Joe de Goose. I really was. Um, I mean, I mean, listen, slow. I was a good slow full forward. And here was what was great about it: we had a really great uh, midfielder or uh, half forward who has since um, uh, effed off to Los Angeles, Ryan McGettigan. And um, he used to play center half forward. And what was great about him was, is he was probably the best athlete on the team. And more often than not, when he got the ball, he would leave his opponent. So what would happen is, is it would force the fullback to either leave you know basically honor me and let and let ryan run ragged or go after ryan and leave the unathletic nerdy kid by himself uh and and i didn't score it happened more often in in in, in like reserves and metros matches i think in in all those matches i got maybe about 20 or 30 goals but um in in you know that's the the hardest part about that is just learning the timing um you know it's uh, positioning is probably the hardest thing i i've learned in any sport be it soccer or or uh, even baseball where you know it's like left field stand in left field well no you got to stand this way or stand this way um but once i learned that down it, it became you know it, it thing life became a little bit easier but um I was just absolutely bloody awful whenever I was asked to play defense and I couldn't run a whole lot. So I, I figured, you know, coach was being masochistic on the days when he would ask me to play out on the wing. Uh, <laughs> I was like, are you, are you trying to kill me? I mean, is it, is it, or do, do you want to watch me wither and, and die on the, on the wing here? But, um, no, I, I, I just love scoring goals and I love playing in the offense. And, and, uh, and so I, I was, I felt at home in the goal square. That's, I hear you on that one, mate. <laughs> that's uh, that's a dog second home, and he's he's ventured up to the wing once. Um, and <laughs> Go on, tell the story, mate. You you tell it better than I do. All right, so really he's do. he's um, I think he might have been heading to the bench. You were that far up the ground that he was uh, the the balls end up getting kicked out to the wing straight in front of him. So he's run onto it. Takes about three bounces. I've happened to be running alongside him, trying to shepherd for him. No, no, no you come off the bench. Yeah, and I'm, so I'm running beside him, trying to shepherd, and I'm ending up 10 metres in front of him because he's um, going, come on, mate. This... But he takes a few bounces. He got there in the end. He kicked a bloody good goal, and then he was, uh, yeah, ready to head to the bench after that, after just, uh, you know, sucking well, in that... a few big ones. 
Oh, well, the, the funny thing is, is I, is that my, I think the best game I played was actually a reserves match. Um, uh, what is now Baltimore, what was Baltimore, Washington. They're now two different clubs, but they came up to Philly once and, and they brought so many guys and I had just, you know, played 80 minutes of a full game. And I, and, and I was just like, I want to get as much run as I can, because again, we only play, you know, nine, 10 games a season. So I wanted to get as much run as I can. And I kicked a bag of four, but I remember on my last one, they had actually moved me up into like the half forward flank. And I remember getting a ball running on and kicking one and then coming off and I ran off the field and I'm just sucking in win. And, and Dan Mil Dan Milborn, who's, um, bloke who's been around forever he's from uh, up in uh, Wudonga Albury that area um, he came over to me and with just the flattest attitude he's like how many you kick mate and I went <sighs> four uh, he's like nope get back out there we need two more from you <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean it, it's I mean I, I, it, I like to run every once in a while the problem is, is I couldn't run for longer than like two minutes after that I was just I was just completely puffed I was completely done but um, um, I do remember one time really quickly just just talking about just funny stories is uh, one year at nationals we played alongside um, the Subiaco uh, Lions from the waffle were were there and they did they did clinics they did a whole bunch of stuff well one of the things they did and uh, um, they did an exhibition match where they co-mingled with a bunch of the American guys and one of the coaches came over and said hey mate do you want to just jump in with us so here I am playing with these again random schmuck from northeast Philly who has no athletic talent I'm playing along these guys and it what I did kick a goal the guy like handballed it to me again I was all by myself and I just remember don't f this up like I'm standing right in front of goal but the best part was is going back the other way guy lasered one in and I it hit my uh hands hit me in the face popped straight up in the air and I took the mark but what was worse is I did it in front of the beer tent there's a large beer tent at nationals and it wasn't even so much that I did it in front of the beer tent it's just that it's sitting right in front of the pocket where I took the mark was like all 20 of the Hawks players so I, I still hear about that, Mark. I see, you know, the fact that I took it is, is non-sequential. It's just that I got falconed. <laughs> All right. It's good so, that you knew it was a falcon too. Uh, I know where you're going here, Rifty. I know what you want to ask. I'm just going to do it myself. You mentioned this beer tent, right? Is that something that's at every single Nationals? Because out of all the American people we spoke to, this is the first time I've heard about it. I'm fucking pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, one of our major sponsors is Cooper's. And everybody, and I know it's a South Australian thing. I know that I know you got your own your own stuff there there in Vic, but you know, um, so there is a large tent, and you can always tell when a team is done on Sunday at Nationals because it's a two day tournament, and some teams play their game at nine o'clock and then just get straight onto the piss. Um, so you can always tell whose team has been eliminated by who's holding a beer, uh, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, uh, basically what happens is, is the tent is near the field. And by the time the, you know, all the grand finals are held in succession from about one or two o'clock on, by the time the division one men's grand final is held and, and now the women's grand final as well, by the time that's held, all the other games are done. You have a pretty sizable crowd. 
uh, well lubricated, of course. But um, that is one of my one of my favorite moments. At, well, I, I mean, I spent two or three before I started broadcasting them. I would spend, you know, with everybody else, just sitting in the front row and talking to people because, uh, as it is with just about everything else, you know, just getting to know everybody and and you know, you occasionally you'd see people. They would bring like their friends and their family from the local town. Um, and, and they've never seen the sport before, but one uh, year in 2009, I actually was volunteering on the other side as just helping the scoreboard because nobody else was doing the scoreboard. And there must've been about 12 or 1300 people. This is in Mason, Ohio, which is in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. And it was the Bulldogs, the Denver Bulldogs and the Seattle Grizzlies. The Grizzlies were not expected to make the grand final. It was their first year in Division One, and they got in on percentage. Um, they had lost to the New York Magpies earlier in the weekend, and all that needed to happen, I think New York, in order for them to make the grand final, only needed to lose by like 30 points, and they lost by 50. So Seattle kind of backed their way into the grand final, and Denver had won seven national champion, or six national championships, and everybody wanted to see them lose. And Seattle was like, it was like everybody that was there was a Seattle fan. So I'm sitting on the one side, you've got the beer tent on the other side. And every time Seattle took a mark, every time they kicked the goal, there was this complete wall of noise that I have never heard at any USAFL event before or since. And so having that atmosphere, again, well lubricated, but having that atmosphere really makes the tournament what it is. And it, it's, it, it, I tell people, especially there in Australia, you need to come to nationals at least once to experience something like that. Because as as great as the atmosphere is at the grounds there, it's there's nothing like it. Yeah. So with the mention of uh, Denver and Seattle, two of our good friends. But um, I know what you mean by that. You're at a game and everyone is just what in American terms rooting for one team to win against another one. I was at a uh, Eastern Football League grand final a couple of years back and my mate played for South Croydon and they were playing Vermont and they got beat, South Croydon got beat by 72 points in the semi-final. Grand final day, there would have been close to seven 8,000 people at that ground and every single person in that ground besides the Vermont fans were cheering South Croydon on and they got the win. But back to America and yeah. whatnot. Um, now, I keep saying that, you know, I need to get myself across there for a Nationals. But now the fact I know there's this beer tent, well, <laughs> I, well, I'm there. I, I, I want to get to America at some point in my life. I'm, it's been split up by talking to these American teams. And now it's just gotten even, you know. During one of these, someone did mention that. Um, so you're going to have to listen back, mate. I think you, m- you mustn't have been paying attention because it has been mentioned before about. He was um, asleep at the wheel. It's okay. The beer tent. I, think, uh, I was probably trying to do some research and something else I found out about them that day. <laughs> yeah, I think it was somebody made I, I know, a I know tackle. the Coopers. I know the Coopers. Uh... Yeah. Anyway, you'll be able to listen oh, back to them on well. But, um, but um, I wanna, I'm keen to know, you started following football in 95. So it was a pretty pretty good year, 95. What team do you, do you go for in the AFL? Um, well, I'm going to say, but by that comment, you sound to me like a Carlton fan because they haven't done F all since then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not trying to have a go. I'm just stating facts. Um, so because, so the thing is, is for all the, for all that, for all that time, I never really, I never really got behind one team. I was like, I'm so far away. I don't really feel an attachment. Then I started playing for the Philadelphia Hawks and I started playing in 08. 
And of course, we all know what happened in the grand final that year. And it was that night that I decided I was going to be a Hawthorne supporter. So I've been a Hawthorne supporter. Fremantle is my second team. And, and the very quick story behind that is at my first grand final, there was a young lady, Susie, who I'm still, I'm still friends with her. And, and uh, she's from, uh, was living in Philadelphia at the time, but she was from Perth. And I was telling her how much I loved Fremantle's jumpers and how much I wanted. That was the one footy jumper that I wanted in my life. And she said, listen, I will, I will go back to Perth. I will buy one for you if you promise to become a, a Docker supporter. And so I, I have allegiances to the Dockers, uh, but Hawthorne's, Hawthorne's my club. Yeah. Uh, I just want to pull you up on something, Rifty, right? You mentioned that the B10 had been mentioned before. You know? Brian's <laughs> mentioned about, you know, they're very lubricated in there. I have drank a lot of beer during these podcasts, all right? You've got to give me time. You know, this, uh, I have drank quite a few beers. So. That's all right. All right. So, being a Hawks man, and who's been the favorite player that you've, you've seen in the time since you've followed footy? Oh, man. Um, that's, a tough, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I loved watching Buddy when he, when he played. Um, I remember those, those, that first club that I, you know, in 08, when I first started following them, I, I loved Chance Bateman. I loved Changa. He was such a, he was such an inspiration. He was really good. Um, and, he was a bit uh, of a cult hero here at the time. He was, he had a, that cult hero following at the time, I reckon. Yeah. Um, he was, uh, he was really good. I, I liked watching Ruffy play as well. He was, he was absolutely fantastic. My, my favorite, I, I, I would say that those are my, my favorite Hawks. I would say my favorite player of all time. And, and actually my, my, you'll, you'll get a kick, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, the, my first player that I really liked when I started playing, when I started watching in 95 was Kuda. I really loved Anthony Kudafidis. And then my favorite player of all time, going back watching, you know, because I've watched a lot of matches even back to the 70s, is, is the flying doormat, Bruce Duell. I just, oh. I love the way he played. I love his character. He was right, very... Doug, unf- you can leave it. <laughs> Do you want me to piss off, Mike? Because... I don't think you need me for the rest of this episode. Yeah, we'll just talk about Bruce Duell. And we'll, just, we'll just talk about Bruce Duell for the rest of it. Who do you, who do you, who do you go for, uh, Ricky? I'm a bombers man. Myself. I have nothing wrong with that. I like um, I like Dusty. I like watching Dusty. You know, I like uh, Nick Rewald as well. Is uh, I am the sort of person again. My I have my allegiances, but I just like watching like really good players play. And I, you know what, my first so my first game at the MCG was Bombers Blues. Oddly enough, it was that game three years ago, and I think the Bombers got up. But yeah, the bombers got up. It was at the MCG in August of 2017. It would have been round 20. I think it would have been round 20. Um, that would have been. What are we? That would have been supplement year, would it? As in, like the top up year. Uh, uh no. the year after. No, it was the year after. Um, yeah. Now, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna try and now now I want to figure out what game it was. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I remember my, I landed in Australia on the Thursday. My first full day was Friday, and we had actually gone to Windy Hill because uh, we had a connection. The the Revolution had a connection to practice there, and I was just in awe of it. And in fact, um, 
one of my good friends is uh, Doug Drinkwater, who is uh, the uh, coach of the um, umpires coach for the EDFL. And I actually got to go into the into the umpires room. I was in the rooms, and I actually got to go into the umpires uh, uh, one of the coaching sessions as well at Windy Hill. And you know, for somebody who again, I came in kind of as Windy Hill was kind of being, I guess. Dis- disassociated with use and they were you know shifting more centralized but um you know it's it's a shell of what it was you know 30 40 years ago or even longer than that when it was Essendon when when Essendon played home games there but but anyway I got the chance we were there in the afternoon and then a whole bunch of us um went down in at night to watch uh Geelong play Sydney and I stood out in the terraces and that was my first AFL game and I had, you know, here is somebody who's been following the game more than two decades, and I got a chance to watch watch a game amongst all the drunks out in the st- <laughs> out in the stands there. Um, and then the next the next day was the opening ceremony, and and I had gotten we and I and I've got great photos. And remind me, I'll have to send them to you guys of me getting you know uh, taking photos with the with the uh, Bombers fans and with the Blues fans walking around the outer or the MCG. I mean, that was my first exposure to the MCG was being at ground level and getting to walk around the perimeter. Yeah. That's, yeah. There's nothing better than, uh, going to Windy Hill and seeing the great old club that used to be there. Don't worry about venturing down to that Carlton area, but um, I'll play the game. I've been there too, though. I've been, I've been there too, though, actually. I was at, I was at Icon Park for uh, the Outer Sanctum. They had a thing there as well. In way, fact, better I got interviewed. way better set up they got there. Mate, the Icon. one time I went there, I remember, they ran out of beer and food by half time. <laughs> and I played a game at Windy Hill. Uh-huh. And the, uh, it was, they gave us these shitty old change rooms that probably hadn't been cleaned since the bloody 70s. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was disgusting. Oh, yeah. And... and there's a reason why it's called Windy Hill. It's probably one of the windiest places I've ever played footy at. Mm-hmm. You ever played at Casey Fields? Nah, oh, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the shithole? It's a windy shithole. That was a monsoon that yeah. day. So. But um, there's one thing that we mentioned in a previous episode, which I don't think you actually fully grasped and gave me shit for, was the day that I told you I played for Carlton on the MCG. Oh, and yeah. Um, I was kicking against Colin, would you? It sort of just was like, oh, yeah, cool, move on. And I was, I don't know why I'm bringing it up because I was quite impressed that I didn't cop as much shit as I thought I was going to that yeah, day. Yeah, well, you know, it's the one day you were a good bloke. <laughs> yeah, you keep saying that, but whatever, mate. But um, <laughs> anyway, you mentioned about like coming across to Australia. Now, you do the commentary for you know, the International Cup, the regionals, and the nationals. How much traveling do you do in a year for all that stuff? I, I rack up a lot of miles. Um, so that one particular year, I called games in 2017. I called games in five different time zones, all four continental American time zones, because regionals that year was Raleigh, North Carolina, Little Rock, Arkansas, um, Denver, Colorado. Nationals was in San Diego. And then I was in Australia as well. Um, and, and what's a shame is obviously because of the, you know, the situation, um, you know, our regionals were canceled this year, but uh, this year was scheduled for Dallas, um, Cincinnati and Denver, and it would have been difficult anyway, just with because the my daughter's due date was June twenty sixth initially. She's here, uh, and I made the joke. You know, this was after it was canceled and everything. I made the joke. I told the league, "Well, I can go to regionals now. The baby's here." Um, but um, <laughs> I do. Oh yeah, that would have been that would have been great. No, um, there are. I mean, I travel. Like I said, I travel four or five times a year. 
uh, and it's uh, I would say I would say four times a year. And and I also try whenever the Hawks are playing locally. Um, I got the you know I got to go down to Baltimore, which is a ninety minute drive away. And uh, I was just going to go and watch and, and, and help goal umpire if need be. And um, they were like, well, we have a PA set up. We would love for you to do commentary. So I actually got to do four. I mean, it wasn't recorded or anything. I just got to do it to the ground. And, and that was a lot of fun. There were a lot of people that, that didn't know that that was happening and enjoyed it. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it's a fair bit. And, and the league is very supportive in that, which, which allows to make it happen. And thankfully, I have a day job where they, they love that I do that. So um, they're, they're very supportive as well. It's pretty awesome. It would have been uh, funny, you know, blokes playing a game and uh, all of a sudden there's you calling their goal as they're about to kick it and whatnot over the PA. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I'm learning. I, I got to try not to moz them too much. I mean, I try and wait. I try and wait to say something until the ball's left their boot because I don't want them to blame me for 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 shanking one. Um, but, you know, <laughs> some sometimes they don't need my help. No, nah, see, a good full forward would kick it, but if he misses it, it's your fault. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's as simple as that. All right, Absolutely. Rifty. All right, I see you sitting there. You're just itching for me to bring it up. Just go ahead with your grand final question, mate. Just get out of the way, would you? I can't sit here and look at you any longer. That's, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. <laughs> I have nothing mate, to say about We've that. had two episodes before this one tonight, and both times you have just enjoyed seeing me squirm in my seat about that. Uh, so you mentioned you, you basically found the other um, Philadelphia Hawks going to a grand final day party. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do you, what do you do now for grand final days and, or nights over there? What, what's the uh, yeah, grand final night for you guys? Grand final night is my favorite night of the year. It's like, forget Christmas, forget all these, you know, rubbish holidays. It's, it is. uh, So the game here starts at 1230 uh, in the morning on the East coast. And it better stay that way. I'm looking at you, Gil. I'm looking at you seven. Don't change it to a bloody night grand final because then we're not going to be able to have the. It will be a right, so don't worry. It won't happen. Yeah, right. it's, it's I mean, a, it's a two o'clock kickoff here, and if it goes later, I'm stuffed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, by the time if it's like the Super Bowl, I mean, I know a lot of people get get you know lubricated and everything else for the Super Bowl. By the time the game starts, everybody's just kind of. <laughs> but uh, but but anyway, so the game starts at about twelve thirty. So we usually get together either about nine or ten, and it's a it's a fundraiser for the club. Um, you know, we charge just some nominal fee and, and, uh, we have games and whatnot. We sell, we sell the meat pies. We sell the, the four and twenties. Um, we, we usually get the Coopers obviously because they're a, they're a sponsor. So we get, we get a lot of stuff. And what's great about it is, you know, and, and I walk around, I've got, um, we have the Super Bowl squares. Uh, you know, it's like match up the numbers of, of the scores. And if your name is there, you win, you win a little bit of cash. Um, a lot of, we get, we get some of that as well. We do like a, a guess the first goal. We'll do like a Norm Smith as well. Um, what's great about it though, is that over the years, we've gotten a mix of uh, obviously, people who were involved, Australians who live in the community, uh, we get you know friends of friends. So I know that I've 
every year I've managed to drag at least one friend along who's never seen the game before. And now here, here, I mean, they can see what kind of a gathering it is. Um, but even more interesting is, you know, that's around the time that Australians have their, have their annual holidays. And we will get just random, like three or four people from, you know, uh, from, from all over Australia. One year we had a traveling, I forget what they did. They were some sort of art performance troupe, but they were from Geelong and they were there for, for the 09 grand final. And that was really cool. Cause every time, you know, Geelong would kick a goal, they were, you know, um, but, um, but it is a, I mean, it's, it's our biggest happening of the year. And what's interesting is, uh, you know, I think two years ago with Collingwood and, and West Coast, I don't remember it being as late as it was. It, you know, the game ended at about three in the morning and the bar was still packed. They had stopped serving drinks at two because you're not allowed to do that. Um, they were, you know, coffee at that point. I know one year we were at a bar and they started serving breakfast. It was like 2.15 and you know, I'm watching. It actually, it was the, was the drawn grand final. It was either the drawn grand final or it was the year after. But I was sitting there in the fourth quarter eating bacon and eggs. Um, but um, I, it is, I mean, and, and I, like I said, it's our biggest fundraiser, especially for the Nationals to defer some of the costs of the players traveling. I know most of the other clubs use it as well. And um, that's one of the reasons why I push for the, for the you know, I know it might never happen, but that's one of the reasons why I push for a day grand final because the entire part of the U.S. can watch it at a reasonable hour. It's a 9.30 start on the West Coast, which is a Friday night prime time. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it, it needs to stay the same because these clubs use it as a, as a lifeline to, to their um, financial well-being. So. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. And Ed Dog is... He doesn't like asking that question at all anymore because he hosts Grand Final Day every year. It's his, his proudest day. It's you know, as, as Brian said, it's Christmas. Until until his baby's born, it's probably going to be his proudest moment. Is hosting Grand Final Day. Oh, jeez. But I got to say, mate, Oof. you do put on a good feed. All right, so I'd probably prefer to have the. Uh, the lamb on the spit, then bacon and eggs. So yeah, but uh, I, I, I might if you. I'm waiting for you to mention it. He mentioned earlier in that uh, response about the games and Norman Smiths and goal kickers. Oh, just, just, just get it away, mate. Just brag uh, again. Brag he, again. He likes to host some sweeps as well. So we have a you know first goal scorer of each quarter and a Norm Smith. I just happened to take home all of them and uh, did all right for myself last year. Um, <laughs> But a question I have for you, you are a massive sports fan, you said, um, and you are in Philly. Philly happened to win a Super Bowl a couple of years ago and um, mm-hmm. would have been a pretty uh, exciting time to be uh, in Philly. What was it like mm-hmm. when uh, Nick Foles just uh, led the team to victory? I... I didn't know what to do. I like, I think I may have started crying. I don't know. I don't, I, it was, it was, we were watching it with some friends, uh, at a friend. So there was like 20 of us at, at, at this, at our friend's house watching it. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I've been a Philly sports fan my entire life. And again, the only championship that that I had experienced, I'm born in 81. I was too young for the Sixers championship in 83. So the only title that I remember was, uh, was the Phillies winning in 08. 
and that and I was there for the parade when that happened. I was working in the city at the time, and I remember wanting to meet up with my wife, who was also working in the city, and we just couldn't because there was like a million and a half people jammed into this little tiny spot in uh, in in South Philly, and um, and it was I mean it was insane, <laughs> but it was and and it, it was it was I mean I I think of my dad. My dad's you know, instilled all of this sports and nerd them in me. And he made a Facebook post the, the day of the Super Bowl saying, you know, the last time that the Eagles won a championship was 1960 before the Super Bowl, before the NFL AFL merger. He said, I was 12 years old and I was sitting on my mother's kitchen floor in South Philly listening to the game because it was blacked out on TV. They blacked out home games in those days listening to the radio, listening to Bill Campbell and Jack Whitaker call the, call the, the, the championship game uh, and where they beat uh, the, the Packers. Vince Lombardi's only loss in a championship game, I might add. Nobody yeah. else did it, but we freaking did it. We'll get um, that snippet. We'll send that to our captain. He's a Green Bay fan. So I was going to say, I haven't been liking this answer so far, but that's worth it. Yeah, that he's, is... a Pats, he's a Pats fan. I'm a Cowboys fan. So. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But, uh, uh, oh no! Uh, you had me Dallas fan, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, what, what's funny is, is I used to work at the University of Pennsylvania, which Franklin Field, which has been around since uh, 1896, um, 1895. Sorry, um, that was for until Veterans Stadium was built. That was the home of the Eagles. And uh, every time we go by, or every time I have a you know we have a visitor, I say, "There's Franklin Field, host of the Penn Relays, home of Penn football, and the site of Vince Lombardi's only playoff loss." <laughs> Well, that's something we we don't quite get over here. Is even though um, like footy is massive, Aussie rules is massive, but like I'm a Carlton supporter, he's an Essendon supporter. We live in the same suburb, mm-hmm. and there'd be a thousand different teams supported throughout our suburb. We don't, you know, live in a town that you know, even Carlton. You could go to Carlton, and half of them will be Collingwood supporters, half of them be Essendon, half of them be you know, they all St Kilda. Yeah, you don't sort of have that like, all right, you live in Philly, you go for Philly, and that's the team you go for. We don't have that here. And so it's it's always great to get insight to what it's like when those big wins happen, especially for what, you know, an underdog team that Philly was. And and I am a Cowboys fan, but first and foremost, I'm an American football fan. So I don't mind an underdog getting up and getting a win. And I was a, I was a fan of... Uh, you know, Mike Vick uh, during his time at Philly. So, and mm. I liked it. Nick Foles, the backup, came in, got the job done. They even had a little reception there to, to win it. So, it was yeah. uh, fantastic to knock knock off the juggernaut that was the Pats at the time. So. Yeah, I, and I think we we have very much have an inferiority complex here, just because you know we're in the shadow of New York, and New York just likes to remind us how how great they are, and. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's always great. Listen, I love the fact that um, Eli Manning, uh, you know, his his nightmares are covered in midnight green. So, you know, he he, you know, he might. I don't, Lord knows what's going to happen with him, whether or not he's a Hall of Famer or whatever. I mean, he won those Super Bowls, but I'll tell you what, he was ordinary against the Eagles, mate. He just was not good against the Eagles. Yeah, that's and I'm okay with that. We can mutually agree on that. That you know, even the Cowboys <laughs> gave them a few beatings in the through the times. But yep. also, again, you love your sports. Uh, mm-hmm. A big part of our uh, 
isolation has been watching Netflix docos. So it started with the the Tiger King, obviously, and then the recent weeks it's been the Last Dance. I know Philly's nowhere near Chicago, but can you give us anything into like what it would have been like over there? Being you know when MJ was at his prime, you would have you know you were a young teen at the time. But what was sort of basketball like? You know, even be for a Sixers fan. Well, the Sixers sucked in the nineties. Uh, there's there's no there's no color coding that. I mean, those were the Sean Bradley years, uh, and Sean Bradley was uh, about as useful as a as a screen door in a submarine. He just was tall, and he was like a decent athlete, but he just wasn't a good basketball player. Um, and we would see you know them get these number one picks, and and they would. I remember the one year they picked Sharon Wright, and he lasted like two seasons, and then like drifted off to the CBA or some or some stuff. But um, I, I know that, you know, what MJ in watching him, I, you know, I was just like everybody else being captivated by him. I, I still think that Wilt Chamberlain is a better player, but uh, that might also be the Philly coming out. I'm, I'm done. I'm in. I'm going. <laughs> He's a Chicago fan too. The colors, obviously. Yeah, yeah obviously. Well, well, here's the thing. You know, you talk about, I mean, everybody knows, I, I'm sure folks over there know about Allen Iverson. He's one um, of my all-time favorite players. So. Here's here's what I'll say about Allen. I mean, say what you want about about the about the about him and about practice, man. We talk about practice, practice. you know, and that, and that sort of thing. The reason he is beloved in this city is is his heart. I mean, he left absolutely everything out on the floor every single night and every single game, and he bled and and hustled and sweat for the team and for the city. I mean, you know, talk about, you know, there, there were a few players that you would want with, with the ball growing up, you know, w- growing up and watching them. I, you know, whenever he had the, whenever he had the, the basketball, anything could happen. And so, you know, and it's a shame they didn't, they didn't de- defeat the Lakers that year because, you know, I, uh, they, they had a really, really good team. And, and, and I would say, you know, the 67 team was really good because they had Wilt Chamberlain and they had, uh, you know, um, uh, oh, crap, his name, Billy Cunningham. You know, the 83 team was super because of Moses Malone and, and the doctor and Bobby and Bobby Jones and all those guys. That oh, that oh one team, I think, in terms of talent might have been like at, at least up there in the top two in terms of all the Sixers time. So it was really enjoyable watching them. And even watching the team now, I got to go to one of the games before the stoppage and just watching a good young side with, with uh, Embiid and, and Thaddeus Young. Uh, not Thaddeus Young. Uh, he's not with the team anymore. The, um, Simmons. Uh, Simmons our, our and, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what I want to get to, right? Now, yeah. stuff your Eagles win the Super Bowl. What was Philadelphia like the night Ben Simmons finally hit that three-point? It, they would, I mean, they're still talking about it. Um, what the, so, so what's funny is, so I got a funny story about that. So we mentioned the Hawks women's team a little bit earlier. So one of the players for the Hawks women's team is Leslie Gartner, who happens to be physical therapist for the Sixers. Um, one of two women's players in the USAFL that work for NBA teams is physical therapist. Amy Arendale works for the, uh, who plays for New York, works for the Brooklyn Nets. Random. Anyway, um, she oh, so, don't want to cut you off. He said, "Random." That's what makes him such a bloody good commentator. 
um so anyway gartner leslie gartner got a free kick they uh they were playing sacramento and the suns had kicked it out on the full so she's kicking from about 20 meters around and um she just took two steps went around the corner and slotted it and um peter holden who calls games in the in the vflw was calling the game with me and and he said, you know what? Send that tape to Ben Simmons and say this is how you hit hit a shot from the outside. <laughs> that was before he hit that three pointer. But you know, it's like it's like here you can you can take some tips from this from this PT on your team. Yeah, it's um again, being that you you're in a place that you know you have that one team. It I guess there'd be a lot more pressure on players that play for those certain teams. And Ben Simmons not taking you know we. We're going to support him because he's an Aussie. And I should have worn my jersey. Yeah, for us, I've got it's, the hat, but it's, it's our, our our color scheme as well. So we're red, white, and blue. So we kind of, you know, to me, I wear a, I get a Simmons jersey because, and I, you know, I was an Iverson fan. Um, yeah. But yeah, I could imagine the the pressure on him when he's every time he gets that bloody ball in his hand when he's outside the arc to try and hit those shots, or and he keeps giving it off. I'm like, oh, God, he just got to. Hopefully, he spent this whole time in isolation just shooting three-pointers and he comes back with a, a dagger of a shot. I just hope that happens. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's, such, he's such a great talent to watch. He really, he really is. And, um, you know, all the other sports, I mean, you know, the Phillies, the, the Phillies won a championship and, you know, hopefully with Bryce Harper, they'll do really well. The, the Eagles, of course, won the Super Bowl. This was we thought this was the Flyers' year until the, until COVID happened, and now they still might they still might do it uh, once they return to play because they just announced their return to play as well. But it'd be good to see the Sixers because the, the you mentioned, of course, you know about about having the different teams and 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 whatnot. Um, you know how how uh, you know with the different football teams, and you've got like it's an amalgamation of the eight or nine, and in some cases beyond the fandoms. You know. I don't know that any other spot place in the world has as many sports that are as closely followed as, as here in the States, because, you know, we have four major sports teams, five, if you count the major league soccer team, which I do. Can't, it can't, it can't. Thank you. Yeah, doesn't count. For my purpose, for my purposes, it counts. And I'm, and, and I, and I believe, I believe the one Ricky at the very least. Um, but anyway, um, having all of that is, is very, I mean, you, you know, there's a lot of people who are professed four for four or five for five people, but it's very interesting because interest kind of ebbs and flows. It's like, all right, one year we're a football team town. One year we're a baseball town. Um, of course there was the one year when all the teams were crap and then all the teams were crap except for the soccer team. So <laughs> it just kind of ebbs, it ebbs and flows. So it's, it, it is a much different dynamic, I think, than, than you see anywhere in the world. All right, come on, it Doug. You've had enough of all this Philly talk because he's a Pats fan, and you know he's no, no. He, but, he jumped off that pretty quick. He said that soccer is a major sport, so we're good. <laughs> oh, who's your who's your major league soccer team then? The Philadelphia Union. My wife and I have season tickets. We've had it since the first season, so we're going on. This would have been uh, season number eleven, um, and. Um, it was one of those where I, I went to – I'd always followed soccer growing up, and I went to a Gold Cup game in 2009. It was a doubleheader at, at the Lincoln Financial Field where the, where the Eagles play. And um, I think the first game was like 
who was it? It was Honduras and Canada. And then the U S was playing Panama later. And we were sitting next to these Honduras fans and they were singing and they were clapping and it was just a lot of atmosphere. And I thought, you know what, if union games are going to be even half this, I want to be a part of it. So we got season tickets. Uh, I was a member of the sons of Ben, which is the supporters group for a few years. Um, we, and, and that's just, I've made so many friends through it. Um, I did actually co-host a soccer podcast for about two years, which is uh, fantastic because I got the cover stuff. I got to go to the MLS All-Star game one year. I did an MLS draft. Um, I also was covering rugby through that as well. I got to do uh, USA versus the Maori team, um, which is which was a thrill. Um, I got to do, I got, um, uh, I also got to do the college sevens as well. So, um, but yeah, that's who I, high support. And, uh, it's frustrating because it's like, I was, I was going to, I was going to compare it. It's almost like being like, uh, and I was going to compare it to being a blue supporter, but I'm not trying to make any enemies here. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 compare it, compare it. <laughs> it's well, it's, it, it's like you keep saying, I mean, the thing is, is that, is that there's good young teams and, and, and they, you see them bubble up a little bit. And then in the big game, it's just, it, they, they just kind of disappear. Um, Sounds like Carlton. Yep. <laughs> I will say that probably you know, the last, the last home game they had uh, last year was a playoff game where they came from behind. They were down two nothing and they came from behind the win or no, they were down three nothing. They came from behind to win four, three in extra time. And we went home, and two hours later, we found out that uh, my wife was pregnant. So that was a pretty awesome day in and of itself. That's uh, yeah, win a final, knock up the misses. That's a good <laughs> all in a day's work. I mean, that happened beforehand, but let's not get into <laughs> semantics. <laughs> um, well, it's been great chatting to you, and I know you have a lot of other stuff to do. Um, but before we get off. We, the one thing we do want to know is how the hell did USAFL even get started in the first place? Um, that is a really good story. Um, uh, apparently there was a meeting back in 1997 with Paul O'Keefe uh, and a couple of other people. And, and Paul, Paul, nobody calls him Paul. It's Plugger. Uh, Paul Plugger O'Keefe. And they founded the league in 19, it was in 1996-1997. The first game was played between uh, Cincinnati and Louisville. And the game was played in Indianapolis uh, with a couple of uh, – with a uh, – a couple of guys local there. So that was the first organized game. Uh, it was originally founded as the USAFA in 1997. That was the first year that they had the national championships. Um, and then uh, it really has grown from then. We're up to 46 clubs across the country, uh, about 2000 or so players, 75% of which are American, um, which is something else that I think is kind of a, I think it's mis misunderstood about us. Like people in Australia, like, oh, it's all expats. The Americans don't really care about footy. No, it's mostly local Americans. And, and um, it's really, it, like I said, it's grown over the years. And the fact that we have, you know, this burgeoning women's program as well. I mentioned, you know, 500 women playing. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how it started. And, and it's really been sustained by folks. I mean, and the Americans that were involved in the early days, you know, ESPN had, had VFL matches back in the 1980s. And um, those, in the beginning, that's how people, that's how Americans got into it. And then very slowly word of mouth. And obviously social media is such a big thing now. It's easy to get the word out. And um, 
you know, I remember I mentioned Little Rock a few years ago. We had a few, um, we had a couple who had just randomly, they were lived in like somewhere in the middle of Arkansas and they just randomly had started following the AFL. They had never even been to Australia. One of them was a Swans fan. One of them was a Crows fan. And on the morning of the Nash, of the uh, regionals that it was in Little Rock, they just happened to see a Facebook ad and they just rocked up like in the middle, like, like they just drove 40 minutes and they rocked up to it. So, but yeah, that's how it got started. And, and, um, it's, it's amazing to think. And I even ask, you know, I, I talked to plugger and I asked, you know, rich man is another one. Uh, you know, how did you ever imagine that you would be seeing not only the nationals grow to what it's been, but even think about, you know, there's a team in Hawaii now and there's teams again, all over the, all over the Midwest and all over the South, um, you know, and, and they say, no, they said, you know, we hope that it would get big and we hope that it would grow and flourish, but, you know, just to kind of stand back and, and, and take a look at it. And I've been in the league 13, you know, this is my 13th year. I had to think about that for a second. Uh, <laughs> math, um, you know, <laughs> it's my strong it, point. <laughs> yeah, well it usually is, but again, it's, it's nine o'clock in the morning and I haven't had coffee yet. Uh, it, um, it really, I mean, it, it's, it, it's to see and to have been a part of it for so long is, is just, it's, it's, it's one of the most, I think, fulfilling things that I've ever done in my life. And I know that a lot of people will agree with me. Yeah. You mentioned Hawaii. It's uh, incredible how far the, gro- the, the game has grown across there. And a big shout out to Alexandra and Susan, our friends across at the Hawaii Eagles. Um, so like you mentioned like what it's got to like, What's the plans for development to grow the game even more and get more participants in America? So every team uh, has done basically basically do, handles their own recruiting, and um, you know they they do it through a bunch of different means. And and the good news is is that over the last couple of years, with the help of people like Heather Serpico, who has bounced around from New York to Portland down to Austin now, um, among other folks, they have really worked on recruiting strategies that are available and, and say, you know, resources to say, Hey, listen, if you're having trouble, let us know. We can, we can maybe help you in terms of developing ways to recruit people. But, you know, think of like college towns and uh, you know, Baton Rouge, of course, that's where LSU is. In fact, the team is called the Tigers. They wear the same colors as the, as the LSU Tigers. Um, You know, basically going around colleges, gyms, um, putting stuff up around town you know think of a place like austin um which is a you know it's it's a decent sized city um and think about the fact that they've built up the strongest team one of the strongest teams in usafl history um not just in terms of ability but in terms of numbers Uh, i know the last time we had nationals there which was 2015 they had two and a half teams they had enough for for uh uh, a main side, a reserve side, and then enough to top up another reserve side for somebody else. Um, so that's basically what it is. I mean, we, 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 we basically tell them, you know, social media strategies as well. And that's where I come in just, just how to do that. Um, sponsorship opportunities, like basically just, just some guidelines on, you know, how to go out, go and talk to people, talk to, to, to restaurants, bars, you know, sponsor, you know, where you would have your after parties, talk to local businesses. A lot of cases, there's a lot of Australian connections. I know here in Philly, we have a couple of places um, that are owned and operated by Australians and to get them involved uh, and to get them on board as sponsors so that, you know, they can focus on the community side of things. And 
Um, so yeah, it's, we've gotten a lot better over the last couple of years and kind of pooling resources and being able to, and that goes back to what I was mentioning before. And I guess talking about, you know, it's not, we're not at the point where, you know, it's, it's about competition in terms of, well, who can get which players and, and, and which clubs will get too big. Um, you know, even though we are a couple of situations where are there more, more than one club in, in a, in a city, but, um, or in a metropolitan area, but, um, you know, it's, it's very much, listen, the stronger our teams are, the stronger competition we're going to have. And, and I think that's the, that's the most important thing. So there's a lot of pooled resources there, which is great. That's uh, awesome. And it's great what they're doing over there. And, and hopefully um, this time off and, you know, the difficulties we are facing don't, don't set the league back too much. And, and clubs are able to still grow and continue to grow. And we did just have a chat with James from the Bogota Bulldogs down in Colombia. Um, it'd be great to, to see some more USAFL teams head down there and play some games with those guys because they're doing some great things down there. And yeah, um, so thought I'd, well, we've got someone from USAFL. I thought I'd throw their name out there because they're always looking for new competition and, and to get new games up with, uh, they want to come to our nationals badly. They really do want to come to our nationals and, and hopefully one of these years they'll get the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, I mean, we have, we have friends, our friends from Canada, like Montreal and, and Calgary come down, which is, which is fantastic. Um, and it would be great to have them, you know, at the very least. And, and especially having talked to, to those guys, I know that they have a lot of local Colombian players, which is, which is outstanding. Um, you know, it's one thing to get to, to slap a team together of, of all expats and, and, and say, well, you know, we're playing in, in a, a foreign country, but, um, the fact that they have so many local players there is something that I know that everybody here is excited about helping them grow. And it was a year ago, I think last week was, was when the anniversary was that, um, uh, we the Bulldogs. I know the Austin Crows had gone down there, but the Denver Bulldogs men's side had gone down there, and a handful of women from different clubs had gone down. In fact, we also sent one of uh, Lori Roop, who is uh, one of our senior umpires. We sent her down there as well to umpire the match. And um, I, I, it's not about again the competition's great. You want to win and all, but the fact that we're helping cultivate footy across the globe, it's it's it, you know on the field, and then it's the same thing when we talk about the rivalry with Canada. On the field, we want to beat them. We, we, we want them to lose. We want them to lose by 100 goals. Uh, off, off of it, though, they're doing the same thing that we're trying to do, and that is to try and grow the sport in a place where it's not indigenous, where there's a lot of competition from other sports, um, but where we know that if enough people see it and if they, you know, once they sink their te- teeth into it, that they'll love it just as much as we do. Yeah, so it's one thing that... I've absolutely loved about chatting to all these clubs from every corner of the globe. It's just how, you know, they're a completely different country or they're right next door, but you want to see them grow to grow the game. So now before we, you know, make a move and get out of here, one thing I want to know is what is your favorite nationals that you've been to? Is there one that just sort of stands out more than another? Oh gosh. Um, that is a that's a very difficult question. I know the first year that I commentated obviously was was pretty special. 
which was 2014, and I was still playing at the time. Uh, I was the last man off the bench for the Hawks, and we made it to the grand final that year. And I was looking for, I guess, an easy exit out of playing and into commentating. And, and you know, having a, a runner's-up medal around my neck after playing for eight years was um, – was 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 pretty was was pretty special um i would say you know uh, uh two years ago uh the 2018 uh, nationals was a lot of fun and um we were in racine wisconsin which is halfway between milwaukee and chicago and i remember being there being a lot of trepidation i guess because of the size of racine um you know uh the fact that we were going to be in october and it was it was pretty cold it was uh, you know the feels like temperature on the first day with the wind was was right around zero uh, Celsius. Uh, again, know my audience. Um, but um, it was, I mean, it was, I mean, I remember, and I remember I had like a really bad sinus headache the first day and it was, but what I liked about it was everything, you know, the, the organizing committee there in Racine was, was tended to our every need. Everybody was super friendly um the the competition was was great we were on espn3 for the first time um you know uh, i got to call the hawks win their first national championship in 16 years which i i you know if i if i couldn't be there on the ground uh you know to be, to be able to call that the funny thing is is that after the the ceremony and everything uh dan greenberg who was past president still plays for them walked up and he handed me a winner's medal and i said what's this for he goes well you're you're a hawk you get a medal i said well i didn't play he goes listen merrill reese who was the play-by-play announcer of the of the eagles he got a super bowl ring you get a medal okay fine can't argue with that logic but yeah, I think that's my favorite one. But I'll tell you what, every year I go, um, it's like a giant family reunion. Um, I mean, I have a lot of friends uh, across the league and it's, it's, you know, it's great to be able to work in something where you're not just, you're not just colleagues. You're not just, these aren't just people you associate with. They're your friends. And um, I'm glad I'm, I'm blessed somehow that I get a chance to head out every year and, and, and just, just spend time with them. Even if it is, you know, in the middle of me working and in the middle of them preparing. And even if I just get to talk to them for like a minute or two minutes, it, 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 it really kind of enforces a lot of friendship and a lot of close bonds that I don't know that I've ever been able to get doing anything else in my life. So, yeah. Uh, it's pretty awesome, man. I reckon you're, you're living pretty much, um, a fantasy of many young Aussie kids growing up, you know, thinking they were going to be the next BT or Brayshaw or Rex Hunt. And you're getting to do that in the US, calling an Aussie game. It's uh, quite obscure, but um, we've uh, enjoyed the chat. And, mate, we, we've got a, a video of our game from last year on YouTube. We might have to get you to do some commentary on it for us at some stage. Oh, mate, yeah, I reckon you, me, and him. He, him he can be the play by play. You and me just special comments and just fill him in about our players. Yeah. Oh, it's a date. I'll totally, I'll totally do that. Um, I mean, it's not like I'm getting any sort of extra responsibility with a kid coming home soon, but you know, I'll be, ha- I'm, I'm, I'll happy clear some time, clear uh, off some time for that. What I'll do in the next week or two is I'll get the list of the game, uh, the game, the list of the players upon that game, the numbers, you know, their names, and just a little bit of information about all of them, just to help you out a little bit. And we'll do it. Yeah, I reckon that's a good idea. That's a, I like it. Rift, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Smart uh, man. 
it's 20 past 11. I'm sitting there going, okay, I need to go to bed. Now you've got me just wanting to get this shit done to, to get it out there. <laughs> you always have your best ideas when you should be going to bed. Yeah. It, it's, it, it always is. It's like, it's like, you know, I could go to bed or I could stay up writing a history about the USAFL uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, trust me. If this, we can organize this. I'll stay up at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday night to do this. <laughs> Um, and listen, I haven't called a game since the I haven't called a game since October, and I mean now is right around the time where I would start calling it. So if nothing else, it's right. a good uh, it's a good feeling. Right. Rifty, what do you reckon? Your most special comments? Him and the bear trap calling the game. Oh yeah, we got to make it happen definitely. Yeah, um, get the bear trap in on that one. But like we <laughs> said, you you uh, you've got to get to go see your your little one. So we're we're not we're gonna let you go. Ed Dog's got to get to bed. Um, congrats on the birth of your daughter. I hope everything goes well and you're able to get her home soon. Um, and all the best to your wife. And thanks again for joining us, mate. We really appreciate it. We've had a great time learning a bit and, and just shooting the shit about Aussie rules and all the sports you, you love. So it's been great. Um, and I'm sure we'll speak soon. And, and if we can make that happen, thanks, I'll fellas. Make and, it happen. Yeah, thanks, fellas, and I and I I look forward to it. And listen, thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time to use your your. I guess you know I had never listen. I I know the the of the Southern League because um, I've got a couple of there's a couple of American books playing out in Black Rock, so uh, well aware well aware of the Southern Football Netball League and and you guys. And I appreciate you guys using your platform to shed some light not just on us in the USAFL, but some of our friends around the world who are helping to grow the greatest sport on the planet. So uh, thanks for all the hard work that you guys are doing. No, it's our pleasure. We've enjoyed it probably more than everyone. So um, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. And like I said, good luck with uh, the little one. Cheers, boys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for watching the Cobra Cast with the present VP. And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number. Hey Siri, play the Cobra Cast with the present VP. Now playing podcast.